Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello everybody, I'm joined today by Zoltan from Lombik. Lombik is a .NET software development company from Budapest, Hungary. The company mainly works in web development with the Orchard CMS and has served clients around the world, such as Microsoft, Live Nation and the Smithsonian. Uh, The company has recently started to look into opportunities in the space industry with the Haslayer project. Zoltan, I'd like to say welcome. Uh, Thank you for being here today. And could you just give us a a really short introduction about yourself, your company's work and the Haslayer project that we've just mentioned? Yeah, thank you very much for the intro. Um, I'm Zoltan Lehotsky. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Lombik. And indeed, in the last eight years or so, uh, we have been mainly doing web development with .NET and .NET Core. Uh, And as you said, um, the content management system called Orchard. Um, We are pretty much newcomers to the space industry. take everything that I'm saying with a grain of salt, of course, uh, we are more like here to here to learn. Uh, but we do have uh, quite a bit of expertise in .NET uh, that we would like to bring into the space industry. And um, our Hesler product can be well applied in the space sector, we think, uh, because it's, it pretty much allows .NET developers to write .NET as usual. As you know, with all the latest tools, all the cutting-edge uh, development environments, and um, all the all the bells and whistles in that high-level environment, but still get hardware acceleration for it. So Hasler pretty much takes your .NET software and creates a piece of hardware out of it, like converts this program into a computer chip. And all of this happens with FPGAs, by the way, if you are familiar with them. So in the end, the, the software will consume less power and will execute faster, which is, which is something that can be very well utilized on M, in embedded systems, in edge computing scenarios like on board of drones or spacecraft. Excellent. Well, thanks for that introduction. So today we'd like to talk a little bit about .NET app development for satellites um, with, with hardware acceleration, acceleration as well. So just as a start then, as we know, it's almost standard practice in the space industry that every manufacturer of an onboard computer or a payload computer has their own SDK, their own software development kit. What do you think is the right approach towards harmonizing the different sort of proprietary software interfaces that they use? We have been through this, uh, you know, in the software industry many times. And what is sure that we will never have like the one true API um, that kind of never arrives and probably it never should. But uh, what we can have are de facto standards, like at least a couple of approaches that everybody is taking. And uh, we have seen this happening um, all over the place. Web standards, APIs on the web, in the cloud, in graphics. So I think what we can strive for, uh, because that's, uh, that's like the realistic goal here, what we can strive for is foster foster application development, make it easy. So people can come up with their own libraries, people can collaborate, and we will eventually converge to 
some, some common de facto standards or at least some common approaches that everybody understands and we can agree that, hey, these work, uh, let's do that. You're seeing .NET app development as, as a, a route towards achieving that. So as you mentioned, Lombic has a lot of experience in other industries. I wonder what, how you thought that uh, .NET app development is being leveraged in those other industries. You know, why is it popular? And also, why you, in fact, chose to specialize in the .NET stack rather than something such as the cross-platform Java ecosystem? Yeah, the, um, I think the last question is, uh, is the easiest. Uh, there's no particular reason for that. Uh, we, we started with .NET. Uh, we have learned um, .NET uh, as university students uh, before we have funded the company. We have learned other platforms and other languages uh, as well, but C-sharp.net was kind of our favorite, so we just started with that. We still like it, so uh, that's, that's kind of given. Uh, you know, at one point, you have to make your choice. What I think uh, is very good in .NET, and of course, that's not just true for .NET, but I know most about .NET, is that it's a, it's a very productive environment. And software developers can be very productive there. Uh, they can use all the cutting-edge tools or the latest, uh, latest approaches, modern frameworks. Um, and there is a thriving ecosystem around .NET. As you know, I'm talking about the .NET of today. Uh, .NET even a couple of years ago was a bit different, uh, but currently .NET is completely cross-platform, completely open source. The, the open source community around it is, is, very, is huge. There are activities everywhere. You get components, pretty much free software for everything. And, and you can utilize everything for free indeed. So development environments, you can use any, not just Visual Studio and a couple others, but you can use any IDE or any editor, which can be free. You can run it anywhere. So it's not tied to Windows anymore. All the latest Windows editions, macOS, um, the various Linux distribu distributions are, are supported. 64-bit, 32-bit uh, platforms, ARM platforms are supported. So it's, it's, it's very cross-platform. It's very, very generally usable. Um, there's one further thing here which probably lacks, uh, probably is lacking in, in some of the other platforms. Not Java, but, but there's a bit different, that uh, there is also what I would call enterprise support. So if you want to develop .NET, if you want to host .NET somewhere, then you have all the enterprise level support everywhere. That's also a bit overlapping with the space industry, uh, although not entirely, but you need all kinds of compliance. Uh, you, need to, you need to have safety on all levels. You need to have uh, the proper hosting options, certify suppliers, everything like that. That is also there. Yeah, but uh, .NET currently is mainly used for web app, uh, web app development, um, cloud app development, desktop apps, more and more mobile. But, of course, not the space sector. Uh, that's what we are here for. Well, exactly. And I guess that's my next question is, what do you think that the core values of .NET app development could bring to the space industry? What benefits could it bring? Well, first of all, I think that it's very useful that .NET is, is mainstream. You are, you are never alone. Even if you are working on a, on a specific niche in the space sector, uh, on, a, on a specific nanoset platform even, the overwhelming majority of problems or, or challenges you will have will somehow relate to, to you writing your software. So the development environment, how you operate that software, 
speaking of the of the hardware platform, uh, collecting telemetry, uh, everything related to it. So a majority, majority of your work will benefit from using a very established, very active ecosystem. Simply that, I think it's, it's a, very, a very important point. Secondly, again, you have all the latest tools available. So it's not like uh, embedded development sometimes, when uh, you have to go low level, uh, you have to make use of, uh, of sometimes um, outdated tools, but everything is cutting edge here, or everything can be cutting edge if you like to utilize it. And because of that, uh, you can be as productive as a mobile developer or a web developer or a desktop developer, because you have all the modern tools, all the debugging uh, features, automatic testing, everything related to, to operating an app, monitoring the application performance, that's, that's all there. And, and since you are part of a wider ecosystem, your knowledge is also transferable. So I think that's, uh, that's an important point for, for developers. So you don't have to learn something completely new. Well, of course, there are, there are a lot of things you have to learn in the space industry. But as far as the software development itself goes, you pretty much write it uh, in a very similar way, since it's .NET again, than you would do anywhere else. And that's, um, uh, that's also related to, to the second part of your question, that or the other side, so it's good for .NET developers, but why is it good for the space industry? For the space industry, this, this can be very useful because there's a wider reach. Um, you have much wider, wider audience for your platform, many more software developers who can utilize it and who can pretty much work for you. So you have a wider selection of people to work with, which means that the, the professionals can be better, um, they can even be cheaper since you have more, you have a, a wider market to address. And that's, uh, that's a very technical point uh, related to .NET, it's less about um, business and the industry in general, but .NET is also very safe. You know, it's managed code, so you are you're on a high level, there is a, there is a runtime that actually hosts your, uh, your code. That means that it's very, very hard to mess up in a way that is fatal for the application. And especially you can't really do anything that would be fatal unless you try very hard, that would be fatal for, for the whole platform. That of course also has downsides because uh, .NET is not deterministic. So it's not, so even with hardware acceleration uh, that we are providing with Hesler, it can be used for, for real-time computing and Especially, we are not talking about mission critical subsystems at all. Aside from then looking at the the benefits for for the developers and for the companies that are managing this development, how can .NET app development sort of save time and costs in space missions? I think what's as as, as a bit of an outsider, uh, so still we are we are newcomers to the space industry, but I think that although the new space, uh, the industry got very very fast uh, compared to uh, what it was like a decade or, or even multiple decades before, it can, it can still get more agile. And that's, that's the industry trend, of course. And that's what we would like to kind of uh, join as well. And .NET can help there a lot. And being more agile, uh, being, being able to iterate faster on, on, on satellite software even, uh, is something that can, that can uh, bring costs down. Because you don't need larger systems, uh, costly systems uh, that need to be up in orbit for years. You can get away with smaller 
older satellites, uh, again, talking about satellites specifically, and you can just write software for them in a more agile way. And with .NET, you have all the tools for that. So again, you have all the cutting edge, cutting edge tools, all the cutting edge, edge platform, a cutting edge ecosystem, which is very active. And you have all the .NET developers there. So at that point, and I think that's, that's kind of where it, would, where it would trip into being a lot more cost effective. The, the kind of the main point here is that, that once we have .NET support and .NET support widely in the, in the space industry, I think that was signal that there are not just specialists uh, needed there, but you can get away with generalists as well, or just uh, general software developers. Since uh, at that point it will be, well, I'm, I'm doing this in, in quotation quotes, but it will be just software development as usual. But again, I'm, I'm not talking about mission critical systems, um, rather kind of like, um, like app-like programs that run on spacecraft uh, on payload computers for onboard data processing. Oh, that's really interesting. So there's this .NET community, the, as you mentioned, the, a lot of the skills are transferable with the, the different aspects of the technology. However, you know, the space industry does have many different idiosyncrasies and there are many aspects of it that are very different to other industries. So as you mentioned, relative newcomers to, to this sector, uh, do you think there are certain you know, bottlenecks to overcome that would enable general software developers, as you've just stated, to, um, from outside the space industry to work more inside it on software in the, in the industry? Yeah, all the patterns are there. So, uh, we have also gone through this um, in the in the mobile industry or with uh, smartphone app development, we have gone through the same thing before uh, with desktop and web app development. Um, and I think uh, pretty much the, the big enablers uh, would be helps in the, um, in the following areas. First of all, it's, I think it's very hard to start. If I'm a software developer, uh, I will like to write codes uh, that will run on a satellite. What should I do? Uh, and if you, if you just search for how, how do I work in the space industry? Uh, you know, you will get uh, tech overflow or, uh, or core answers. And they all start with pretty much which university you have to attend. Whereas if the question is, how do I write an Android app? You get a bunch of tutorials. Um, you get a lot of walkthroughs, emulators. So pretty much everything. So you can write your first Android app in like 10 minutes. Now, I think we can reach uh, something like that. I, I'm not saying that we will have spacecraft app development or software development like it is with smartphone apps because it's it's completely different in, in every way. But accessibility on that part uh, can be similar. We could have ready-to-use SDKs, like what we are working on, tutorials that guide you from the very much the starting point, where the starting point can, here can be that you know .NET at least, uh, all the way to that your, your code is doing some image processing, for example, uh, on board of a satellite. And, and that's the second part of it. I think that's, that's very far-fetching, of course. But the second question is, how do I run where or where do I run my software? Because, you know, with, with mobile apps, you can run it in an emulator, but, but most possibly you have, um, you have a smartphone as well, or you can, you can get one uh, very cheaply. In the cloud, uh, you can deploy it very quickly uh, with, a, with a few clicks or, or by running a few commands. And hey, your, uh, your code is out there all across the globe. 
Now, of course, we don't have something similar for spacecraft or space applications yet. Um, but there are several uh, manufacturers and, and uh, satellite operators that I think are going into kind of that direction that we will have kind of a kind of a space cloud ut utilizing uh, spacecrafts and, and their sensors. And again, I'm primarily talking about satellites as, uh, as pretty much cloud resources. And again, this is, this is a bit probably far-fetched, but I would imagine that as a developer, you would be able to say that, hey, I have, not, I have my code ready, which, uh, which takes satellite imagery um, and does something with it and beams down only the necessary data um, to the ground. And you can, with a few clicks, you will be able to deploy it onto an actual satellite. Or, well, at least first to a flat set, um, you know, the simulated environment, and then as a next step onto an actual satellite. Of course, uh, the cost would be very different, uh, but I would imagine something like that uh, arrives soon. And we would like to be kind of the, the portal for .NET developers into space for that. Interesting vision of the future with that sort of cloud ecosystem evolving. And I guess a system like Daris with so many interconnected parts and in technology that's used in so many different ways and with hardware that has to you know, undergo rigorous rigorous testing and, and hardening, radiation hardening, etc. Um, there are certain fundamental principles that would need to be adhered to. And one of those in particular, I think, is when we would consider software, when we would consider flight software in particular. So I guess, do you think that when, when companies are developing flight software, do you think, what do you think the right level of abstraction is for it? So do you think access to the bare metal is essential or uh, should such companies adopt you know, high-level languages? Is that a better approach, do you think? And if so, why? <laughs> first things first, what we are, what we are targeting here is, um, is onboard data processing, payload processing, not thinking at all about any mission-critical systems, uh, especially not on manned missions. So no, no live support system uh, written in .NET, uh, nothing, nothing like that at all. Our, our vision is... Um, it's actually building on top of uh, what the new, new space industry has, has produced. And that is that we have almost off-the-shelf uh, computing hardware available on spacecraft. I'm primary, uh, I mean, not off-the-shelf in a, in a way that you can just uh, buy it from an ordinary web shop and, and uh, put it onto a spacecraft without any further consideration, but rather that the platforms are the same. They are packaged differently and, and radiation hardened in various ways. Um, and tested, of course, but uh, for example, the Xilinx Zinc, uh, Zinc chips are the same Zinc chips uh, available on, on nanosatellites, on, on board computers, than, than uh, what you can buy as part of a Z-board. And that means that we can do pretty much app development there. So the mission-critical systems can, uh, can use uh, other technologies, but for that kind of processing where it's not mission-critical, if it fails, you can just restart it, and, and it's not a big deal. Uh, but you want to be productive when, when developing your app, and probably you want to change it, iterate over it uh, frequently. That's where high-level tools and, of course, .NET come into play. For example, again, talking about smartphones, there you wouldn't write the, the OS kernel, for example, in, in a high-level language in .NET, because that's written in C but you wouldn't write the camera app in, in C or assembly either That's, that you write in, in something like Java or .NET. What we are talking about is, is something similar. 
Uh, we, we want to find the sweet spot uh, between productivity and performance. If you have unlimited money and unlimited time, then you will have better options to, to have the best performance and go low level. But if you want to be more productive, if, uh, if the ultimate performance or ultimate reliability even is not, not the only goal, uh, but you want to be a bit more agile and more cost effective, then higher level tools are better, I think. And again, uh, primarily .NET. Uh, so I think this, this is also something that we have seen in IT before many times. Um, and it's not really like, is it low level or high level, but rather it's low level and high level. It's just different parts, different parts of the system. That's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. As you say, finding the sweet spot between productivity and performance, I mean, that's, that's a, a, the key challenge in the space industry and in all other industry sectors as well. And therefore, I wondered, based on your knowledge and experience from other sectors, do you think there are certain software development best practices that the space industry could adopt or should adopt? Yeah, I think primary open source uh, is something that would come into my mind. Uh, open source and reusable components, the packages. Um, and actually, these are tightly connected because the reusable packages um, that a software developer might use in their, their software are usually open source software too. So pretty much you don't have to reinvent the wheel, uh, but rather there was somebody who already invented that kind of a wheel. So you can just um, import that package and, and be done with it. I think in the space industry, there is a bit more isolation yet. Um, the hardware platforms are getting more and more standard as I see, or, or, they, or at least there are a few, speaking again about new space and non-estatized primarily, but there are a couple of platforms that are that are widely used. So it's not like not like you know in the in the 70s, 80s that every hardware is different. So that's good. The software part is a bit more fragmented. Um, at least we have we have um, kind of standardized on on Linux uh, for for higher level applications at least. Although there are multiple distri distributions, uh, multiple distros being used. Uh, there is also a free RTOS for, for the real-time parts. But everything that goes on top of that, there's, there's a bit more fragmentation. And I think that open source, so sharing the knowledge, uh, sharing the SDKs, uh, even, even probably sharing the drivers um, would help there, and especially components. So speaking of .NET, for example, uh, I would imagine that when I'm writing uh, my code for, for a satellite, um, I would be able to use the existing .NET NuGet packages, um, as they are called. I would be able to use the existing NuGet packages for various parts of my, my software. And technologically, I don't see any issues with being able to use the same NuGet packages you have already used, for example, in web development or, or in mobile development in an application running on board of a spacecraft too. But there are risks associated with adopting open source software, aren't there? Particularly for mission critical space applications. Yeah, and probably won't won't see any open source military uh, satellite anytime soon either. <laughs> um, I can't really comment on mission critical applications uh, because um, I don't have any experience or any any particular knowledge about that. Just in general, I do know that open source is is already being used in. I'm, I don't know about the space sector, but in other parts of the world, in mission-critical mission uh, applications as well. 
for example, uh, running the infrastructure or uh, even medical devices. Uh, heck, there is even an open source pancreas uh, that's uh, artificial pancreas. Uh, that's probably an outlier, but open source is, 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 is widely used everywhere. I don't think it would affect or it would add risks um, to, to any system that we don't already know uh, from other parts of IT. Yeah, okay, I understand that. And uh, the open source pancreas <laughs> sounds fascinating. But um, I guess something, I, a question I've always wondered about uh, with software developers is who use open source extensively is, aren't you simply worried about people stealing your code? Well, you know, uh, the good thing is that <clears throat> you can't steal open source code because it's already open. <laughs> of course, uh, you can break the license, but <clears throat> the license are usually very permissive and and pretty much the only thing that you have to adhere to is that you have to keep the original license even in derived products um yeah and there are a couple of very common uh, clauses there uh, but otherwise um you know i think the the question is more about are, are you worried about other people becoming famous with your software or something like that as you uh, aren't you jealous uh, if other people benefit from your work but I think there, it's also part of open source. So you give to the community and you get it back. It can happen that your uh, library or other open source software will be crucial to something else that will get very famous or very successful. Um, they will earn a lot of money, and you will be uh, behind. You will remain behind the scenes hidden. There are actually um, various initiatives in recognizing uh, open source developers. One very basic thing is that derivative software or derivative libraries give credit to the authors of the open source tools and libraries they utilize. But otherwise, you know, it's a it's a collaborative environment. Um, it's it's a competition of ideas, but a collaboration of people, and I think it's it's very productive um, overall. That's great. I, I like that way of putting it. Uh... A competition of ideas, but a collaboration of people. I think that's fantastic. So just to turn to another technical topic quickly. In space industry software, uh, do you think the virtualization could play an important role, especially in enabling more advanced systems? And are there any trends that you've seen, you know, either in or outside the space industry that you think um, could could play a role or it, it, today or in the future? Um, I think yes. And again, I think there are trends uh, which are very similar to trends that happened before in IT. We, we just need to keep in mind to, to learn uh, from history and, and apply the experiences here too. And um, um, as I mentioned before, in our vision, uh, space spacecrafts uh, will become services as well, or will offer services like nodes in a cloud too. And if we indeed reach that, then we will need virtualization. Because currently what we do in the cloud is that, uh, of course, there is some kind of hardware, but you never really um, know about it in details. You never really need to care about it, uh, but rather you, you deploy your high level, higher level service. Uh, at least you deploy into a virtual machine. Uh, sometimes you deploy your container. Sometimes you even deploy the higher level service. And I think that we will go through the same steps in the space industry too. So now it's like uh, bare metal. You, you know your hardware exactly. You 
most of the time can physically touch uh, the hardware your, your software is running on. Um, I'm speaking about uh, the space segment. The ground segment, of course, is, is very different. There is the cloud available. Uh, but in the space segment, uh, usually you, it's bare metal. The, the next step, which is already happening, is that you can rent, well, let's call it machine time or computing time. It's still almost bare metal, so there is no real virtualization, but at least is somebody else's machine and you can't physically touch it. Uh, well, not in space, but not even before lunch because it's not yours. And I think the next step will be infrastructure as a service, the pretty much virtual machines. A virtualization on board of spacecraft that it's, it's easier to run foreign applications. Uh, that's also in progress. Uh, I've read about it uh, by various manufacturers. Um, but I think there are, there are specifics, specifics of the space sector uh, that need to, need to be adhered to here. And the next steps would be platform as a service, and then uh, probably even steps further, like uh, function as a service. So you get more and more abstracted away from the physical hardware, um, become more and more productive, uh, easier to deploy your app, easier to write your app, because as a developer, you have fewer things to worry about. And as a, as a satellite operator, or even as a satellite manufacturer, you are building service, higher level services to make your customers more and more productive. Another area of development and progress in a variety of, area of industry sectors is distributed computing. You know, there are various uh, sort of trends and underway with the developments in advanced compute technologies for several different you know, mission critical aspects in, in other industries, like I say, inside and outside the space, the distributed fractionated swarming and the, the enabling of high performance computing. What are your views on distributed computing in space applications? Yeah, I would probably defer to the to the satellite operators there. Uh, we don't really have anything in the pipeline for it. Um, we are we are not really working on on topologies. Uh, we are very much focused at the time, at least, on compute acceleration. So there is one computer. Uh, we want to make the most use of that. Uh, what happens beyond that computer um, on on other spacecraft? How they are communicating? That's not something that we deal with yet. We've talked about open source, virtualization, distributed computing just then. Um, you know, there are various trends across the whole industry. This this sector moves very quickly. Over the coming, so this is quite a big question, I guess, is over the coming decade, how do you see the future of software in the ground, the launch, the space systems? What do you think are the most important trends that could have an impact on how people operate today? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, I think we'll have more of everything. Of course, that's, a, that's an obvious trend. Um, we, have, we have more spacecraft, more satellites, uh, more companies in the space industry. It gets faster and faster. How this relates to software development is that we will need more developers too. So we will have uh, more people who write code. That also means that it's necessary to have technologies that enable those people to do their job. And that means that, of course, we have, uh, but in our vision, at least we need higher level approaches that makes it easier for, for more people to work on, on various parts of, um, of computing that goes on board of a spacecraft. Uh, we will have the specialists. Uh, we will have people who work low level. 
uh, we will have um, engineers who are uh, very good with performance optimization. And we also have software developers, developers who write, um, write applications for spacecraft, like you write a web app or a mobile app. Corresponding to that, I think we will uh, we'll see more adoption of, of all, the, all the tools and, and the machine learning assistance and automation that we say in the software industry in general. Again, I would imagine that writing, writing some, some data processing uh, application that works on, on board of a satellite would technologically not be different than, than writing uh, some, some enterprise software, um, some software uh, in finance or even the backend of a web app. And um, I would expect that we'll have uh, more end users or you know, more consumer software, uh, not talking about people, but consumer software in the downstream as well, um, even for, for everyday usage. Uh, so of course, since we are in, we are from Europe, the Copernicus program uh, is a foremost downstream focus program here. Um, I would expect that there will be more such programs, more such opportunities and more interest for using Earth observation data, for example, or satellite navigation data on the ground, but more software, more developers there too. And what do you think the results of this greater adoption could be? I mean, let's suppose we're looking ahead in the future, the, the Hasslayer model is you know, widely adopted and there are potentially millions of, of .NET developers who all have access to space and are actively working on space apps. What, what do you think the results could be for the sector? Because it sounds like an exciting possibility. Yeah, uh, first of all, I think the results will be awesome. Uh, but on a bit more serious note, they, that should make the space sector a lot more accessible. So we talked about, talked about the various uh, barriers of entry. Um, I would expect those to diminish, diminish to an extent and for various, uh, for, for specific parts. Because of course, if you, if you want to work on, on life support systems, that job probably won't get easier. But we are building on top of everything that's, uh, that's available. We are making, you know, the pie bigger. Uh, and by we, I don't mean we at Lombic, but the space industry, people in, the, people in IT, we are making the pie bigger so there will be more people working on, on services that add value to, to the existing ones. And because of that, the, the whole industry will be, will be even faster, uh, more agile, uh, produce more value. And, and I'm not talking about uh, value in uh, necessary in, in the materialistic sense, like more value for shareholders, but rather uh, more value for, for humanity. Uh, we, will, we will be able to utilize space more. And we'll probably be faster to reach beyond, you know, uh, lower orbit as well. So uh, since we since we'll be able to make edge computing um, edge computing on on the final frontier a lot more accessible. And uh, yeah, and to, to be very concrete, I would I would also um, expect the the cloud concept indeed to to reach space space to. Just as edge computing uh, on the ground is, is becoming part of the clouds in various ways, I would think that spacecraft will become part of the cloud too. Excellent. Yeah, certainly sounds uh, like an interesting vision of the future. Final questions. Now, you've mentioned several times about the, the number of .NET app developers there are out there. 
lots of software development companies and presumably there are lots of those with an interest in space as well. I wonder what it is you thought that Lombic brings to the market that uh, that maybe other companies can't. As far as I know, uh, we are the only .NET company working on allowing uh, space application development for, for .NET developers. So that's one thing uh, that we are bringing to it. Uh, and secondly, we also have Haslier. Um, so, you know, although um, in our vision, you as a software developer uh, wouldn't need to learn too much special things uh, when you write code for a, for a satellite as opposed to writing code for a web app, but still space is, is not a forgiving environment. For example, your, your, your application needs to be energy efficient. And that's not really given uh, with .NET development. And that's where Hesler can, can help a lot. So I think Hesler is kind of the, the glue here that makes, that takes the productive, safe .NET development and makes it, well, not as efficient as low-level low level software development, but makes it a lot more efficient. So efficient enough, um, meaning energy efficient uh, for onboard processing and also uh, well-performing, so fast enough. Since we can utilize hardware acceleration, so it's not just running, uh, running software on a, on a CPU, uh, but also uh, getting specific hardware acceleration with FPGAs. Excellent. And in the, in the short term, maybe, I wonder what sort of customers you're interested in working with. We are currently mainly looking for satellite manufacturer or satellite operator partners. We are, we are very early there, I think. Uh, a bit earlier, uh, too early to talk about customers per se. Uh, we are rather in the process of, uh, well, first of all, making this happening. The Hesler is already there. It works in the cloud. It works on on-premise. On on -premise. We got it running on, on Xilinx Zinc, um, Zinc boards. But the next steps are to uh, actually integrate it with a, with a satellite on the ground and eventually in orbit as well. So we need, we need industry partners for that. The, but looking a bit further or, or farther, uh, our customers would be the customers of satellite manufacturer or satellite operators rather currently. So companies that already um, integrate with, with satellites uh, by bringing their own hardware or just writing software, we would make their life easier. And a later uh, step in the vision would be to completely open up space Again, it's with the cloud concept, that would be where we bring, uh, bring customers to the space industry who never would have touched it before because the barrier of entry was simply too high. Great. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Zoltan. I certainly learned a lot about .NET app development and the possibilities it can bring to the space industry. Thank you. And thank you for, for everyone listening in. And to all our listeners, you can find out more about Lombic's expertise in history, as well as technical details of the Hasslayer system on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. You can also make free requests for data sheets, CAD models, uh, technical documents, quotes, introductions to suppliers, or any other information you need, whether it's for trade studies or for procurement or research purposes. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by Satsearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to setsearch.com for more information on the space industry today, or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. 
To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store or whichever podcast service you typically use.